Hey, good morning. Good morning, DCF family and friends watching online. We're so glad that you are with us. Um, we got some cold weather going on here in L.A., also known as Lower Alabama. So um, we are so glad that you are worshiping with us this morning. And um, we are loving and looking forward to everything that the Lord has for us together in this new year. Um, I know a few weeks ago, we just kind of launched into like, what are some things that we are trusting the Lord for in 2024? And um, some testimonies from 2023. And what I know is that whether it be from our past and the Lord's faithfulness towards us, His faithfulness to us in our future is good because He said He has good plans for us and it is a future and a hope. So this morning, will you stand with me as we worship together? And um, we love on Jesus this morning. He is our King. He is the one who knows us best, and He is the one who loves us the most. So there is no separation. There's no barrier between you and your heart and loving Jesus this morning, except for the imaginary one that you make. I want to say that again. There is no distance between the heart of God and you this morning, except for the imaginary one you make, because He broke down every wall that would separate us from the love of God. And he says, the word says that we find ourselves in, absorbed into Christ and Christ in us. So this morning, let's worship our beautiful King with open hearts and um, really just with abandonment to love on Him because He's so good to us. So Heavenly Father, we just come right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, thank you that you broke down every wall. You tore the veil, Lord, that would separate us from the holy of holies, Lord. And you became the high priest once and for all, whose blood was shed, Lord, that we could be and live in the holy of holies with you, co-heirs, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the Most High God. So this morning, Lord, our hearts are open to worship you and to love you, Lord, and to be so grateful and thankful for who you are. Lord, I thank you that this morning we enter gates with thanksgiving. We enter courts, the courts of heaven with praise and adoration and worship. Jesus, you are worthy this morning. Lord, we thank you and we honor you. And Lord, this morning, some of us are bringing the sacrifice of praise, Lord, because it's been one of those weeks, Lord. But God, the fruit of lips declare this morning that you are good in every season. You're good in the valley, Lord, and you're good on the mountaintop. Lord, you are good, and your faithfulness to us does not change. Lord, we worship you, and we thank you. In your great name, we pray, Jesus. Holy Spirit, come and move among us this morning. Amen. Let's worship.
Yeah. 
something real quick. Karen and I were just chatting a bit about what, what we're kind of sensing in the meeting. Um, she has a phrase she shares sometimes that the Bible doesn't call us feelers, it calls us believers. <laughs> so often we have been taught in this world about, you know, if I feel something, then it's true. So it, I don't know if you come to grips with this yet, but emotion is pretty subjective. Um, and emotion can be a good indicator, but it's never a good leader, right? And so this morning, there was a sense of, I'm, I'm, you know, if I'm not feeling something, it's not necessarily true. If I'm not feeling loved, then I'm not loved. If I'm not feeling accepted, then I'm not accepted. And I just want to push back on that. That's, that's something we want to grow out of and, and, and come to grips with in maturity is learning to deal with our feelings. Um, I remember when I was in Desert Storm, there was a, a young kid who was really struggling with fear. They would send scuds in over the top of us every night. and Some of them would go to Riyadh and some would come in on top of our our encampment and so there'd be big explosions and you know in the air and it was and we'd all get in the hole and you know so anyway it was a scary it was a scary time and uh 
and, and this guy was really struggling with fear. And, uh, and I remember one of the sergeants just looked at him. He said, I understand how you feel. He said, I just need to know what you're going to do. I, and I, that never left me. I mean, it's just the challenge of, I get that you're afraid. I'm afraid too. Ever, if you're not afraid, you're probably stupid. <laughs> Let's be honest. If you, if you don't have the sense enough to know that a scud coming in on top of you, a big missile coming in on top of you, could potentially change your direction in life one way or the other or, you know, end it all together. If you don't understand that, uh, you have bigger problems than fear, <laughs> right? But I just love it. He just said, um, I understand what you're feeling. What, I just need to know what are you going to do? And all he did was he just prodded him to go, hey, it, it's okay to fear to feel fear, but, but what you do about what that feeling is really what's going to matter. And I feel like that's something the Lord's saying this to, to us this morning. Um, life can just drag you down. I mean, it can just, the monotony of it, just get up every day. It's like, how many times have you brushed your teeth? Have you thought about that? I mean, how many, t- <laughs> how many times have you made your bed? For some of you, never. You're like, I close the door. That's how I make my bed. That's fine. But, but how many times have you done the, the things that, you know, you're just like, I do them every single day. Get up, get dressed, go to work. Get up, get dressed, go to work. It's, you know, I mean, there are movies made about it, right? Groundhog Day, <laughs> right? Same stuff, different day. So the challenge for that, though, is, is that really true? Does what you do really matter? Like getting up and going to work, does that matter? And I'll never forget, 14 years old, I got up sick one morning, and I went into the living room. It's about 4 o'clock in the morning, and I was going into the bathroom because I was feeling nausea, and I was like, God, oh, this is bad. And, and I saw my dad. My dad is putting wood. We had a wood-burning uh, stove, and he was putting wood in the stove. And I said, Dad, what are you doing? And he just looked, and my dad, again, my dad's just a simple guy. He looked at me, he goes, what does it look like I'm doing? I'm putting wood in the stove. And I'm like, what? Why, why are you doing that? And he, he understood it. And he said, why do you think it's warm when you get up in the morning? <laughs> I'm 14 years old. That thought had never crossed my mind. Like, the stuff my dad did for me, I never even knew about. It was just warm when I got up, and I assumed it, right? I just, I just assumed it. And I think sometimes we get in that place where we're, we have these childish mindsets that how I feel is how it is. And I think God wants to push us into a place of maturity and go, I, I understand how you're feeling. My question is, what are you going to do about it? What do you believe? What is true? Not what do you feel is true. That's the, the world's problem. Postmodernism, subjective. My, nope. This is objective. How do we know Jesus loved us? He demonstrated his love. He didn't tell us, hey, I love you guys, all feely, gooey, poetic stuff. There's some of that there. The most important thing is he said, I'm going to show you how much I love you by doing something with my love. And so this morning, I just want to, I just want to challenge us. However you feel, whatever this week or this month or, you know, the last 50 years have dealt you, the monotonous, whatever, would you be willing this morning to lean in and press in and go, you know what, I'm going to get past that today. Today's the day where I'm not going to be subject to what I feel. I'm going to do something to what I feel, and I'm going to press in, and I'm going to love on Jesus, and I'm going to worship because He's worthy of worship, not because I feel like worshiping Him. I don't feel like it sometimes, right? I don't feel like loving my wife. I don't feel like, I don't feel like preaching some Sundays, but I'm going to do it because on the other side of it, I always look back and go, that was the right decision. What I did was the right decision. And I want to challenge you. This morning, I think there's a moment 
that we can lean in and we're feeling it the enemy's just he's pressing us that's where you know depression oppression all the pressing comes doesn't come from god and that's there i feel that in our meeting this morning some of it's just life i get it but my question is not how you feel what are you going to do so i just want to pray and we're going to go back into this song and i want to challenge you move past your feelings i'm not saying be demonstrative for the sake of it you know that's not what i'm talking about but I am saying, would you push past your feelings, whatever you feel, and would you do something about what you know? You do something about what you believe to be true. And then watch what happens on the other side. So Jesus, we just come and say, first of all, Lord, thank you. You didn't just love us, Lord, in word. You loved us indeed. Lord, you demonstrated your love for us that while we were still sinners, Lord, that's when you died for us. Lord, you didn't wait on us. You did what was necessary. You did what love does and gave. So this morning, Lord, we want to do that. We want to grow in our spiritual maturity. And when we feel pressed down, we feel oppressed, we feel something from the world or the enemy or our life or all all those things that will lie to us, Lord, we're going to move past that, Lord, and we're going to do something. We are going to worship you, Jesus, this morning because you are due this worship. It's, it's to you that we bring our worship and, our, and all honor and adoration because you are worthy indeed. You are worthy because of who you are and what you've done. And so we're going to lift up your name. We're going to lift up our heart. We're going to lift up our hands. We're going to lift up our voices and we're going to worship and we're going to adore you, God, because you are worthy to be adored and worthy to be worshiped and praised and honored because you're the king. You're the king of kings and you are our father who draws us in to a place of love. So Jesus, we do that now in your name. Amen.
I just want to read something to us this morning, and I want to share a testimony um, in this. So for those of you who know that we've been walking with Lawrence and Pat and um, diagnosis of some cancer that was on the side of his jaw, he's been doing um, treatments as well as trusting the Lord, and this is not his first battle. Um, He is a very seasoned warrior, so um, very thankful for Lawrence and Pat. He had a follow-up this last past week, and the numbers that they are watching went from a 21 down to a 9. So we are celebrating that this morning. We celebrate every healing and every victory that the Lord brings us in this house. We're going to go back into this song of like you have no rival. And I want to read this. Um, I know that the enemy is very real, but I also know the truth of what God's Word says. And so my state and whatever state you find yourself in this morning is not your position. Your position this morning is that you are he, that you are seated in heavenly places with Christ. And Christ sits around a throne. So this morning, you have some authority and you have something to bring in worship and adoration to this King. Spiritual warfare is less about the enemy and more about being in alignment with God's purposes. So this morning for you, the alignment that you bring is the worship that is due a King. I'm going to say that again. The alignment that you bring in your circumstance this morning is the worship due a king who has delivered you and set you free from every scheme and plan of the enemy. I love this. Colossians says this. I'm going to read it in the Amplified and in the New Living Translation. It says this. God disarmed the principalities and powers that were ranged against us and made a bold display and public example of them in triumphing over them in him and in the cross. This morning, we live this life from a place of victory because of what Christ has done for us on our behalf. So this morning, we're gonna sing, there is no rival. Whatever you're facing right now this morning, there is no rival against the King of Kings. And then my other translation, it says this, in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. This morning, there is a victory for us to live in. Um, I love just something from reading from the book Resilient. And it says this, I can embrace my emotions because they are indicators, they're real. Um, But I'm also called to bridle them to truth. It's my responsibility to bridle what's happening in my life to the truth of the Word of God. So this morning, whatever you're facing, this is a declaration in the Spirit. There is no rival against you that overcomes you. He has triumphed for us on our behalf. And that's what we're leaning into this morning in His goodness. Amen. Let's worship, y'all. Your dream. 
that, Lord, we worship you this morning. King Jesus, you are clothed in glory and might and power and strength and majesty. The name above every other name in heaven and earth. Father, you exalted your son because he is worthy. Lord, we worship you, King Jesus. We worship you. Thank you, Lord, that this morning we settle in our hearts, God, that you have triumphed on our behalf, demolishing strongholds, demolishing principalities and powers on the cross, Lord, demolishing sickness and disease and redeeming us from the curse, Lord. Thank you this morning, Jesus, that you have no rival. There is nothing that stands against our God. There is nothing that stands against our King and His kingdom purposes and what He accomplishes in the earth, Lord. Thank you for your words of truth this morning, Lord. Thank you that your word is a firm foundation that does not move. Jesus, you are a rock and you have declared that your kingdom is unshakable. It's immovable. Lord, that your love for us is great and immeasurable, Lord. We worship you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for everything that you've done on our behalf, Lord, and that we can rest in your goodness and your faithfulness, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, beautiful, beautiful King. Lord, we worship you this morning. We honor you. Thank you for your presence with us, Lord. Amen. Amen. We are so thankful that the Lord loves us. And he comes by his presence in us and through us and among us um, because he loves to be with us. I love that the word of God says that he delights over us. He delights um, in each one of us individually, uniquely, and that his word says that he sings songs of deliverance over us. So um, there is a ever-speaking covenant that his bloodshed speaks on our behalf. And um, that's a powerful, powerful word of who he is for us. If you are a guest with us, go to dothancf.com, do a connection card. We'd love to get to know a little bit more about you. If you're watching online, we'd love to know how your story interacts and interconnects with ours and vision for going into the future. And um, we are excited. This is the time of year when we do our grace teams, which is what most places would consider volunteers and those who are helping to serve in um, services and events to actually carry the vision of DCF out. And so um, our uh, grace teams are going to be up on our website. We've got lots of different ones. You have great strengths because God wired you that way because he wanted your uniqueness and your abilities and your strengths and who you are and your personality and how he made you to actually cause his church to grow, to cause his kingdom to grow. And that happens and occurs in a local context of a local body of who you choose to say, this is my tribe, this is my people, this is my family, I'm going to build here with this group of people. And so this morning, we're going to be launching our grace teams, lots of opportunities for you to be involved with. And what I love about it is, is it's not just about serving that happens in these arenas, It's the relationships that we build with one another and the friendships and praying in the room for one another and having conversations. And it's growing and building ourselves up in love because that's what community does. That's what family does. We are with one another in the journey of the good, the bad, and the ugly. And trust me, 
I've only been here a little bit, almost 60 years now, but I've had the good, the bad, the ugly, and in every season of my life, I've been extremely thankful for that family and that extended family and that community of the local church around me during those seasons. So jump on board and grace teams, you're going to enjoy that. And we want to see you thrive and flourish with that. And also, you know, we love saying and promoting, serve in your A seat, serve what energizes you and what you love. But also everyone knows that in a home and doing stuff and getting stuff done, that there's also need. So serve in your B seat, okay? So we love the A seat, but serve in your B seat as well. So we can build together. Um, Thrive, ladies, is coming up February the 23rd. Mark your calendars for that. It's going to be a great evening of connection and growing and just building together and just loving on one another and um, thriving in friendships together in relationships. And um, Next month, we're going to be launching our community groups, so uh, just be ready for those. They'll, they'll be looking a little bit different this semester than what they looked last semester if you were a part of that. And so if you're interested in even leading a uh, community group, we would love to hear what that might look like. So um, we are thankful for all of you. Thanks for being generous and giving. You can pull out your phones and do that right now online. Um, you can do the QR code. If you're um, in person, you can do a check in the box up front. And we are going to dismiss our youth and our kids, and uh, we'll be right back with our message this morning. Good morning, everybody. If you will, um, grab your Bibles, turn to John chapter 10, verse 10. We're going to jump off. That's, a, that's been our verse that we've been talking about. We've been doing a series called Abundant Life. Um, we've been talking about all kinds of different things. We started out talking a little bit out of Ecclesiastes uh, I read a couple of scriptures from there, and this is uh, Ecclesiastes 1. It says, the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem, meaningless, meaningless, which is the word hevel. We talked about that. Says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Boy, that's a super encouraging way to start a sermon, isn't it? <laughs> um, it's really interesting. Uh, most, most people attribute this to, uh, to Solomon, the teacher. And, uh, and it's interesting, he, he does a thought experiment. The teacher does a thought experiment. He, he basically says, I've tried everything under the sun. I've done it all. I was super, super wealthy. So imagine if you've got all the money that you need, I mean, you know, and you just decided you're going to try an experiment. What experiment couldn't you do, right? And so the answer is he tried everything. And what he discovered was if, if the focus is just on this world, um, and, and this is, you know, we talked about the root words, uh, Hevel was one of them, it just meant smoke or vapor or enigma is another way to put it. And it's basically saying, you know, when you live in the other root word is under the sun or in this world. So he's basically saying, if you live with the focus just on this world, um, you know, the worldview of Christianity says there's a brokenness that entered into the world. When sin entered in, it began to break God's good world. God had created a beautiful, perfect world. You read in, in the book of Genesis, um, at one point, he's, he's created everything. Uh, it was void. It was purposeless. It was just kind of chaos. And then, it, and then he brings meaning and purpose out of chaos. And, and then he, he creates something, an environment, and then he puts mankind into the environment. And the environment was perfect. That's what's, it's helpful to understand that because this is a big picture, right? So the environment was perfect. And the Bible says that he would come and he would walk with them during the cool of the day. And it's just a phrase, it's a really interesting phrase that just speaks to that there was a relationship between the God who had created them and who they were, and there was no sin in the way. So there was a relationship that they would just literally walk and chat. Karen and I take a lot of walks. Um, we walk our dogs. We got a neighborhood that kind of goes in a circle around a lake. 
And so we, we walk that uh, most days, sometimes a couple times a day. And, uh, and Karen stops and visits all the dogs and all the people. So sometimes that takes two or three hours. It's just the nature of it. Um, but we, we'll end up praying for people. Karen's handy. Like if, if, you, if you need somebody to break some, you know, some barriers down, just grab Karen, take her with you. Um, she makes eye contact with somebody. They're her best friend. That's how she thinks, right? So she creates space. But we walk around and we connect and we, and we walk and, we, and, and sometimes we walk and we talk. And, and we don't have a plan about what we're going to talk about, but every single time we talk the whole time. It's really fascinating, right? And it's always invigorating. We come back away from it, and it's part of how we build relationship with one another. We'll talk about what's going on, you know, talk about what's coming up, talk about how we're feeling, some challenges we're going through, talk about plans. We just do all kinds of stuff, talk about people. Sometimes we talk about y'all <laughs> in a good way. But, but here's the picture. This is what God was doing. He was going on walks with people. And, and the promise, you know, again, Adam sins. We know the story. Adam and Eve sin, and they're cast out of the garden, right? And so they come out of the, the, the environment that God created that was perfect and where he was. It's kind of, kind of the, imagine the temple where God dwelled, right? He, he didn't visit. He, he, he lived there all the time, and they could walk with him. And then they're cast out into the world. And then there's this, you know, there's this sense of darkness. There's this sense of foreboding. And then, you know, right off the bat, they're... Um, you know, they have a son, and then the son turns out to be bad, and he kills his brother, and, you know, and then the story keeps going. And then sin builds on sin, builds on sin, builds, builds on sin, until before you know it, the whole world is broken in, 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 in utter, you know, sinfulness. And uh, uh, again, just a big picture story. There's a flood. We know the story. And, and everything seems to be redeemed. One family comes out of it, and you see again, you know, a, a purity. God's like, I'm trying to create an environment where it's good, and it, it works well, and life is the way it's supposed to, to, supposed to be. And then they screw that up, and then God's like, I'll, this is what I'll, I'll give them the law. So they know what it looks like. Can't deny this is what it looks like. God is perfect, so he gives us the law, and then they, we screw that up. It's, it's almost like everything he, we touch, uh, we screw up. He keeps trying to fix things. And we keep screwing up. And as a matter of fact, he says of the law, he says, the problem was never the law. The problem was people couldn't keep it. <laughs> right? So why am I sharing this? Why is it, it kind of feels like I'm starting out on a downer? But this is how it leads to the abundant life. This is the picture that God's painting. He's like, hey, there's a way that seems right, but the end of it is it's the way of death is what the Bible says. So, so there's a way that looks and seems right, like that makes sense to us, but we're the problem. <laughs> Right, so so the, the the only answer to that is that we get back to the way God designed it, and so now you see the story of Jesus, the promised Messiah. There's this promise that one day God says, "I'm going to be with my people. I'm going to walk among them again." This is his picture. He is, "I want you. You're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God." And then you see Jesus comes on the scene, and and he is the redemption story. He's he's Emmanuel. He's God walking in the garden again with his people. Right. And then it, it's, we still can't get that right, so we decide we got, we're going to have to kill him because, you know, he's, he's perfect. And so we can't stand that. So humanity decides to kill the Son of God. The Bible says he never gave his, he, he never, nobody ever took his life, though. He gave it away. And so all of this we, we see is this great big story that comes around full circle. And Jesus, again, there's disobedience in the first garden. There's obedience in the second garden, right? 
<clears throat> there's a sacrifice made for, to cover the man and the woman because the Bible says that God killed animals and, and shed the blood of animals to cover their sin, right? To cover their nakedness. And then you see Jesus hung naked on a cross. I mean, you, there's so many, so many connections and so many big picture drawing into the conclusion of this is the way. You know, uh, Hebrews even says, you heard it said, God said it this way through the prophets. He said it through the angels. He said it through all these different ways. But in the last days, he spoke through his son. He demonstrated his love. He said, this is what this is supposed to look like. And he said, the problem was you. You couldn't keep the commandments. So I, I came and I kept the commandments for you. Now, the only thing left for you to decide is, will, will you walk with me? I've decided to walk with you. That's a given. I'm, I'm going to do that with whoever chooses to believe and, and come into that relationship and have their sins forgiven so there's nothing in the way because he provided all that. And then we now can walk with him literally in the cool of the day. And so there's this beautiful picture of <clears throat> Jesus coming and saying, hey, the answer to, a, to an abundant life is not what you actually think it is. He, he says over and over again, you heard it said, but I say unto you. There's other places he said, um, in order to find your life, you have to lose it. And I, read, I remember reading stuff like that in the beginning going, God, this is so confusing. <laughs> this is not at all the way I think. And God's like, exactly. <laughs> and the whole point was he's trying to get me to think like him instead of trying to get God to think like me. I'm, I, we keep as humanity trying to make God in our own image, which is what idolatry is, and never settling for, God, who are you actually? And then I respond to, to that truth. As, as opposed to trying to create a new truth of my own. We live in that world right now where there's subjective truth. You know, you can have your truth. I can have my truth. Um, it turns out like Gen Z, there's a big study done on Gen Z. And even believers, who are, uh, Gen Z who are believers, would say, <clears throat> almost half of them would say, well, you know, that's your truth. I'm living my truth. So they're buying into this world mind, this worldview, this mindset of subjective reality that somehow I can make my own truth. Like, no, you can't. You can't. <laughs> You can't do that. We're going to get into that in just a second. But this is the picture that God's painting. He said, I've created a way. Matter of fact, and I talked about this last week. Matter of fact, I am the way, actually. Like, Jesus is the way. But there's also a way that we can walk. And Jesus comes and says, I'm going to model this. And it's not going to look like what you think it is. When the world is busy and trying to make everything happen, um, Karen mentioned this even during worship time, that, that Jesus comes in and he has margin. He has, he has a moment. He's going to heal someone. And, and the Bible tells us that eventually the person he's going to heal ends up dying. And the reason th that person ended up dying is because Jesus stops to minister to a woman who touches his garment and who's been sick and bleeding for 14 years. And he, and he cures her, right? 12 or 14 years. And he cures her. And, and then he gets to the place where the person's dead. And they're like, Lord, you're too late. And, and how many of you guys know there's no such thing as too late with Jesus, right? <laughs> it's like, oh you, oh, you think she's dead. And I'm like, well, duh, of course she's dead. But see, it goes back again. He's always pushing back on our thinking, always challenging, going, if you would just, if you would learn of me, this is the whole, you know, uh, rabbi and uh, uh, rabbi means teacher and disciple means learner. He, he didn't just come and tell a bunch of truth to his disciples. He did that. But he also walked with them for three solid years, and he showed them. He didn't just tell them, but he showed them what it looked like to be a man of God in this world, to be wholly submitted and com completely submitted to the Father. That's what he modeled for his disciples. And when he did that, we don't just see Jesus raising people from the dead. We see Paul 
and we see Peter. We see people that we, we look at them before they were believers and we recognize the, the brokenness and the, and the destruction that was in their life and you could see it through the things that they said and they did. And then you see there's a transaction that occurs with Jesus. Something begins to change. They begin to move into a place of maturity where at some point they actually believe that the things Jesus showed them that they could do, they could actually do them. And I look at that and go, Lord, I want to I grow up to that. I want to grow up as a disciple to really believe that what you said I can do, I can actually do. Who you said I could be, I can actually be. So here's the question, just to kind of a get, get us going kind of a question. What does it mean to live an abundant life? I mean, John 10, I had you <clears throat> go there in the Bibles. D- different versions say it different ways, but this is uh, the New American Standard version. It says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy the thief or a thief, it's just the whole concept of this is, what, this is what thieves do. They steal, kill, they destroy. That's, just, that's their job description, who they are, they can't help themselves, what they do. But he, Matt, he, he flips the contrast and he says, but, but that's not what I came to do. So here's an, when people accuse, you know, when they say, well, you know, the Lord's just trying to teach you th- something through your sickness. Can, you, can, can we go to John 10, 10 and see whose job description you just described? Right? That's all you have to do is just go, when you say, Jesus is trying to teach me something with my sickness, is, is, is sickness stealing, killing, and destroying? Yes. Whose job description is that? Is that Jesus or is that the devil, right? And if, if, obviously, we know the answer to that because what Jesus say? But I came. The contrast is this is what the thief is doing, but this is what I've come to do. And here's what's amazing is this is happening at the same time. You can have two different realities. I see this all the time with believers. I see people who buy into the lie of the world and there's a, Jesus comes and he makes an offer of what their life could possibly be like and, and they, they choose sin or they choose fear or they choose whatever. They just can't get, they can't believe the truth of who Jesus says he is. And, and their life is about to make a major change for the better and for the good and, and, and for eternity. And, and because they're wrapped up in their sin or their fear or whatever, they can't, they can't choose Jesus. They choose something else. And often they say, well, I'm not ready to choose right now. That's a choice. I'm not ready to choose is a choice. Make most, no mistake about it. So here's the, the, this is the picture. There's a contrast. There's stealing, killing, and destroying. And there's life. But it's not just life. It would have been enough if it was just life. But he said it's life more abundantly. Another way of saying it was abundant living. Um, uh, uh, beyond what you can imagine, right? Other scriptures speak to that. This is basically what it means. It means more nourishment than the sheep can consume. It means there's, there's more of God than you need or could ever grab hold of. Like, like the draw that you put on him, you think, oh, Lord, I'm asking so much. No, you're not. You're not, you're not at all. Remember the, 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 the story of the two sons. Um, one takes his inheritance and he goes away and, he, and he's like, I've blown all of God's inheritance. All of my father's inheritance, I've blown it in my short little lifespan. How arrogant are we to think that, right? And then he comes back and he's like, oh, Father, I've sinned against you and I've sinned against heaven. The best I could hope for is becoming a servant. That's still the world's philosophy. That's still stealing and killing and destroying because you're not understanding that you have been given an inheritance that is not just life, but life more abundantly because think about it. He says, hey, put the robe back on his, on his back, put the ring on his finger, shoes on his feet. Why? He's saying that you just thought you had all of your inheritance, it turns out I am so much richer than you thought I was, right? That when you draw upon God, whatever you draw from God, you think, oh, that's, that's asking too much. Is it really, though? Is it, can you ask too much of God? Is there anything 
too big for God, Scripture says? And the answer is, of course not. So more nourishment than the sheep can consume. Another way of saying it is, Jesus always supplies an overflowing measure or a surplus. You can never draw from God more than he has. It's impossible to do. That's life and life abundantly. Whatever you think life is, scrap that and come back to God and go, Lord, what do you really mean by life? Because I, I, I thought I knew. I thought I had some joy. I thought I had some, man, I thought I had some purpose. But Lord, it turns out that your ways are so much higher than my ways, right? So again, remember the, the passage, we, we said there's a way that seems right. So what does abundant life look like practically? We hear, it, we hear it all the time. We hear it in songs. But what does it look like? This is John 13. This is Jesus showing us how to get to abundant life. And remember, keep in mind, there's a way that seems right, but the end of it's a death. So the flip side of that is there's a way that seems wrong, <laughs> but the end of it is life, right? So this is Jesus talking, and it makes no sense until you get the big picture. He said, when he had fi finished washing their feet, you ever been to a foot washing? I got saved in the church of God, and we like to wash people's feet. And, and we had some times, man, people, they would, we would, they would say, man, I got the Holy Ghost while my feet were getting washed, and they started dancing in the pan, and it was splashing water everywhere. And I'm like, I got dirty feet water on my face and help me Jesus and it will humble you right <laughs> it will humble you so anyway this is this is the first of one of those when he had finished washing their feet he put on his clothes and he returned to his place do you understand what I've done for you so remember there's this argument about who's supposed to be the greatest in the kingdom right it's not the first time this argument came up the disciples are jockeying for position as worldly people do because they were still worldly and he says, he, he finished washing their feet, so he's showing them something different. And, and I'm going to get to this in just a second because it's really interesting. But he positions himself first before he washes their feet. We're going to get to that. But then he says, he washes their feet, and then this is what he said to them. Do you understand what I've done for you? And the answer is no, they did not. <laughs> and most of the time, we don't either. Which is why it's so easy to get caught up in the world, get caught up in emotion, get caught up in all the things that keep us from doing the love thing right? We talked about in prayer time this morning that um, um, it's, it's easy to win the loss until they have a name and a problem, right? Because it's, it, it's, it's uh, abstract. It's like, oh, Jesus, give me a love for the lost. And, and Jesus like, uh, take some food over to your neighbor. Yeah, uh, some, some other lost people, Jesus, not Fred. I don't like Fred. Fred uses the F word too much or Fred, you know, and we go down this list of why Fred's not lost when he's clearly lost right or the religious person who's even more lost than fred is right i want to talk to them because they're religious and so lord you know you know my heart and the lord's like i do which is why i'm telling you go meet with fred right and that religious guy so do you understand what i've done for you he asked them you call me teacher and lord and rightly so listen to that you call me teacher and lord not just they they'd accepted him as a rabbi they began to understand that he was also the messiah he said you call me teacher and lord and rightly so, for that is what I am, right? If you're ever wondering whether Jesus said he was God, is right here, he said he was God. He goes on, verse 14. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Now, does he mean literally wash people's feet? Yes and no. Like, it, it's fine. You want to have foot washing? Have them. I'm, I'm happy for you. Um, but somebody gets the Holy Ghost and start dancing, you get dirty feet water on your face. I'm just saying, it'll change your life one way or the other, right? <laughs> I have no problem with that. 
But the problem so often is we don't get the context of what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I am the Lord, I am the master, I'm the teacher, I'm the heaven, I'm the God of heaven and God of the universe, and I humbled myself and watched, washed your dirty, nasty disciple feet. Right? That's what I, I just did that. So now, do what I did. No, Lord, I totally love the lost. Okay, then wash their feet. Well, Lord, I don't love the lost that much. Right? And, I, and that's kind of what he's getting at. He goes on, he says, I have set you an example. Everything Jesus did was an example. Part of the challenge of us in discipleship is we make it about character. I've asked this question many, many times. When I say the word discipleship, what do you think of? It's to be like Jesus, yes. How? In his character. I should be honest. I should have integrity. And I go down those lists, and those are all wonderful things. That's the character of Jesus. And yes, you should be developing, allowing God to build that inside of you. But Jesus also had more than just his character. His competencies was what he was trying to teach the disciples too. Remember? He's, he's, they're saying, Lord, all these people, thousands of people here, and they're hungry. And there's no McDonald's, and nobody brought any food. And it's like, that kid brought some food. Like, yeah, but not enough, Lord, we're trying to get at is you don't understand the situation. You ever say that to God? God, you don't, if, you, if you understood the situation, Lord, you'd understand why I'm mad. I mean, think about the stuff we say to God. Like, it's so ridiculous. So he's, that's what this, Lord, you should feed them. You know what he said? You do it. So the first thing they go to is naturally. Um, how are we going to go and get the food? And how are we going to, you know, how are we going to do that naturally? And Jesus is like, that's part of the problem. There's sometimes there are natural scenarios, naturally supernatural, something that's a value that we teach at our church. To don't be weird for weird's sake. That's not helpful for the kingdom, right? Stop doing that. But also don't be afraid to step into the supernatural, which is what Jesus was trying to teach his disciples. He said, I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Not just hear the truth and acknowledge the truth. That's not enough. We have to do what Jesus did in the way that Jesus did it. That's what discipleship looks like. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master. Think about that. He's saying, so are you saying, I always love when cessationists talk to me and they go, you know, the Lord doesn't do that anymore. And I said, you know what that is ultimately? That's just an excuse for you not, you just don't have to worry about faith. You just don't have to worry and trust God for bigger things. You, you know, the thing about not allowing the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your midst is very convenient for you because he, if, if the Holy Spirit never shows up, you can, he, there's never a mess. You can control everything. And by controlling everything, you have yourself become God. And I like it when the Lord makes a mess. I mean, I don't necessarily like cleaning it up sometimes. <laughs> sometimes you have to do that. Because sometimes we make the mess. It wasn't, we're like, well, that was the Holy Spirit. No, no, no. That was an immature response to the Holy Spirit. You're the one who made the mess. The Holy Spirit was all about creating order and being who he is. And we can do it wrong and we can get it wrong. So the, the, but the truth is, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Have the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Have the power of God. Have all those things. But don't just do it how you want to do it or how you've been taught or what your denomination told you. Go back to Scripture and say, Jesus, did you model this in ways that we ought to do it the way you did it? And the answer is yes, right? So he goes on. He's truly, I tell you, no servant's greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is what Jesus is saying. If you learn how to serve, if you learn how, even though you're, you're high capacity, don't deny your capacity, right? But don't allow your capacity to be an excuse for not serving. That whole, I'm above moving chairs, 
or I'm above teaching Sunday school, or I'm above working in nursery, or I'm above that stuff. Nope. If Jesus wasn't above it, nobody gets to be above it. Could we all agree to that? Right? So the challenge then is Jesus saying, if, if I'm willing to serve in such a lowly and a humble place, you should also do that. And he said this, if you do that, you're going to be blessed. Now, that's not an accident. That's not like a tag on. It's like, oh, we should probably write that because it'd make everybody feel better. It's the truth. The truth is when you learn what it means to be a servant, there's something about stepping into that role that God has given us to serve that when we do that, there is a blessing that is attached to it like no other. And that's kind of what I'm getting at today. Um, Philippians 2, 3 Paul admonishes the Philippian church this way. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. This is the way of Jesus. He valued his disciples even above himself. And it makes no sense sometimes. The world doesn't get it. He goes on, he says, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. It's about others. And then he goes on, in your relationship with one another, that's one of the one another's, there's like, you know, a hundred of them, literally, in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus or have the mind of Christ. What was his mind? I'm gonna, I'm gonna get up from the table and even though I'm your Lord and master, I'm gonna wash your feet because I'm gonna teach you something. I'm gonna teach you that serving in a humble way is actually a way to walk in a blessing that you can't even begin to imagine. And it, and it seems wrong <laughs> but it's right. There's a way that seems right, but it's wrong and leads to death. But there's a way that seems wrong, but it's right and it leads to life. So Galatians talks about our freedom. It says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. You have been free. Oh, it's so awesome, right? But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Wait, what? I can't just sin? I thought you preached grace here, Dave. I do, but stop sinning, you not head. Like if I have to tell you to stop sinning, Never mind, I'm not even going to go there. <clears throat> People accuse us of that, but that's not what we do. He goes on, he says, But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. How? Serve one another, there's that one another again, humbly in love. Don't be afraid to step low, right? For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Craig Rochelle says it this way, because we're really big on you serving. We're really, we want to challenge you to serve because it's something God's called us to. But I love something he said. He's, he's got some great quotes. He said, don't just see people as a means to get things done. So many churches often do that. They're like, I need people, I need warm bodies in kids' church. I need warm bodies in youth ministry. I need people on the worship team. I need somebody to do administration. And, and they just go through and they're looking at people going, how can I use these people to get things done? And he's saying, really quoting and building scripture from scripture. He says, don't just see people as a means to get things done. See getting things done as a means to develop people. So what does that mean? Serve on the worship team. Guess what's going to happen? You're going to bump heads with creatives. You ever bumped head with a creative? If you're an administrative person and you bump head with a creative, you're like, what planet are you from? And they are looking at you going, do you even have a planet? That's what happens, right? Um, Jeremy, I love Jeremy. Where is, where's Jeremy at? There, there he is. He's back there serving as he always does back there. And Jeremy and I have opposite strengths. Jeremy is an operator. And when he, we, we took the test, I won't go into it. We took the test. Jeremy scored off the charts on operator. Right, So if you need something done, give it to Jeremy, and it will get done. Now, I'm not, Jeremy, I'm not telling him to do that, so you tell him no. Learn boundaries, brother. 
but, but I'm a visionary, and I'm off the charts on that, on that scale. And so he and I often, we're in staff meetings, and, and I can see his eyes begin to glaze over because I'm, 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 I'm visioning him. And he's like, I've been envisioned enough. Can we stop the meeting and I can go do some things? And I was like, oh, that's the thought. Yeah, we should totally do that, right? But I love hanging out with Jeremy. But we look at each other like we're from different planets sometimes because we are. And that's okay. The whole idea is I know that about him. So I envision him enough so he knows what to do. And then he goes and gets it done. And then he goes and gets some stuff done. And he's, sometimes he's like, I could get a whole bunch of other things done. But is that part of the vision too? So from time to time we have discussion. And that tension between those two gifts cause things to happen in the body. And that's just the two of us. Imagine what that looks like when all of us are working together like that. But we're not afraid, neither one of us. I'm, I'm the, you know, man with blue sparks coming off my fingertips. You know, I'm the senior pastor. I mean, I want to put my name out there in lights on the sign so people drive, drive by and go, Dave built that church. That's so awesome, right? This is, I'm amazing. But you know what happens when, 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 when uh, uh, chairs need to be moved? I move them. You know why? Because chairs need to be moved. So deep philosophically, I'll give you a minute to catch up. Right? So I can't be above that. Is that the best use of my gift? Probably not, right? I could be doing some vision stuff, right? And I should be. I should have a primary thing. I should lean into that. But if I am above moving chairs when they need to be moved, then I've lost something of who Jesus says we are. I'm, I'm, I've forgotten that he was the Lord and the teacher and humbled himself in love to wash people's feet. And I can't forget that. So, so we, we talk about how we do that at DCF is through grace teams. What are they? Um, grace teams are just how we use our unique gifts to serve others. It's, it's a simple equation. And we get that from 1 Peter 4.10. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. I could preach on this one passage for months, literally, and I have. <laughs> But, but he goes after each of you. He goes like, there's no excuse. Every single person is included in this. You should use. In other words, there's a calling on your life to use your gift. So if you come to me and like, you know, if I have to come to you and go, hey, pretty please, would you help us in kids' church? Hey, pretty please, would you help us? Then you don't understand who God made you to be. You have a gift and you ought to use it. Now, will I tell you thank you for using your gift? Yes, in the same way you, sometimes you guys come up and go, thanks, Dave, that was a great message, man. That really encouraged my heart. That's the gift of speaking. That's one of the grace gifts is a gift of speaking. And so you should be thankful that I'm using my gift, but do you need to tell me that, that, that you're thankful for me to do it? And the answer is you better not. If I'm in that place, I don't understand who my gift is for. It's in me, but it's for you, right? So, um, it goes on, um, use whatever gift you have received. That is past tense. Every one of us have unique gifts. We're all different. Like Jeremy and I, we're very different in so many ways. But we're all called to use our gifts for the sake of the kingdom and to serve others in the body. And he says, how? As faithful stewards of God's grace. It's not your grace. <laughs> I'm always amazed at, at people who, like the rat. The whole rap thing, just, I'm like, I remember our, our pastor in Bible college, rap was kind of starting to come to the forefront. And, and there was a few, very few Christian artists who were rapping. And I remember him saying it from the front one day. He said, oh, dear Lord. That's <laughs> how so I started, oh, dear Lord. Um, if rap is the future of the church, I will say yes, but I won't like it. <laughs> and I said, that is, that's, there's no better way to say that. 
And, and But the one of the reasons why rap gets a bad rap, no pun intended, is because so often it is very self-serving. It's all about me and my skill and my gift. And you're like, look at me, I'm the best rapper and I rap better than, I mean, like, I remember that was the biggest part of rap was so full of themselves, right? Because they were gifted and they were amazing in so many ways. And that's true of musicians. That's true of people who are gifted in all kinds of ways. And God just wants to put a reminder, that gift I gave you, I gave that to you, Right? And it's for you. You can use it, and you should, and God, I, God will use me and my gift to make money. I am, I'm a good salesman. Go figure, right? Gift of gab. You can talk. But not because I'm doing anything wrong, but because I'm good at helping a customer find out what they need. So I can use the gift of speaking. I can use some of the gifts God's given me to go make money, and I've done that in the past when I've been a bivocational pastor. Totally fine. But the primary use of my gift is for the kingdom's sake. And if I forget that, I, build, I use all of the grace that God's given me to build something temporary when God's saying, I want you to build into something permanent. And that something that permanent is permanent, that's others. That's who's permanent, to build into them, right? I have a gift. So what's the purpose? There's a couple of reasons why we go after this. One is discovery. Help you find your grace gift. So how do you do that? Sign up for multiple grace teams. Uh, my friend Tyler up in... Northlands, when he got to, uh, he was 17, I think 18 years old when he got to Northlands, <clears throat> he signed up for several grace teams. But one of them was the facility maintenance team. You know why he did that? He said, my dad was great at so many things. He was a businessman. He was a great dad, godly man. He said, but, but we always had somebody else come and do all the repairs in our house. I knew nothing about how to repair anything in my own home. And he goes, and I could see the writing on the wall that that was going to cost a whole lot of money in my lifetime if I didn't learn how to do some of those things. So he said, I realized very quickly, I need, if nothing else, I just need that for myself. So he said, I served on that team and I learned some things about myself. I learned some things that I wasn't good at. So that's what you do. You discover, you get a, become a part of a team. It's like, I'm not sure I'm called to kids ministry. Sign up anyway. We ask you to sign up for a year. After a year, you know what? If it's not for you, step off the team, sign up for another team. Sign up for multiple teams. We do all kinds of different things. If you're trying to discover your gift, Go after discovering your gift. And once you discover those gifts, begin to use those for the sake of the body, right? So that's the whole discovery process. But there's a lie out there. Um, Karen, I don't know where she got it. I think we got it in, in, uh, in uh, North Carolina. But we got a book called T-Rex Trying. I've got a picture of it up there. If you've never seen this book, it's hilarious, right? And the whole idea is it's the inside joke because my arms aren't as long as they should be apparently. Uh, youth, youth ministry noticed this on my behalf and began to kid me about it all the time. They're like, Dave, you're like T-Rex. You know, all your sleeves are too long. And like, I'm like, I, I just, God made me the way he made me, right? So this is running joke about Dave's arms being too short. And so there's this picture here of T-Rex trying to do a cartwheel. And uh, T-Rexes are not very good at cartwheels. So here's the lie. The lie is you can be anything you want to be. No, you can't. You can't. T-Rexes are never going to do cartwheels. Well, because they're dead, mostly, but there's other reasons, right? So there's some things that you're never going to do. So if you try to become something that you're not, you're going to exasperate yourself and everybody around you. So the idea is that to try to become something and then ask God to bless it, it's to find out what God has already blessed, what God has already put inside of you, and do that. Learn how to do that. And then get good at it. Get really good at what God's called you to do. I remember a friend of mine preached a message about this one time, and he said, you know, he said, there's this lie around here. You could be anything you want to if you just try hard enough, right? You could be Michael Jordan. He's like, no, you can't. 
You can't be Michael Jordan if you don't have that skill set. You can be as tall as him. You can, there's be, be a lot of things, but unless you have that starting point of how God designed you, you cannot obtain that. So stop trying to be something you're not and become what God has already made you to be. And by doing that, you become the blessing that God designed you to be into the body. So don't be T-Rex trying. Amen? Good point. <laughs> the second thing we talk about is deploying. How do you become a contributing member to the body? So part of our job as fivefold ministry gifts is to equip the body for the works of service. Your work that God designed you to do. And part of that is we get to speak into your gifts. We'll come in and we'll encourage you. You'll get up and you'll sing. We'll go, man, that was amazing. You're obviously gifted. The other people will come and go, man, I really felt an anointing when you were singing. It was just so good. And if, if everybody comes to you and goes, I don't know if that's for you. I, I love you. Uh, you know, and they're struggling to tell you something they don't want to tell you. The body is very discerning. If the body doesn't believe you have a gift, can we just be honest? You probably ain't got that gift. Right? I've told this story many times. We had a lady who was singing a special at a church. We were helping them grow their youth ministry. And we literally thought it was so bad, we thought it was a joke. She gets up, she sings a special. And I was like, oh my goodness, that's not good at all right? And so I'm, I'm struggling. I'm like, any minute now, they're gonna, the pastor's going to jump up and go, surprise, David Gary, we were just kidding. She can't sing at all, right? And she knows that, and everybody knows that. And, but that wasn't the truth. The truth was, she got to sing one time, and the leaders, trying to be kind, lied to her and said, That's, it's just the voice of an angel when you sing. You're, you bless us so much when you sing. They were lying to this woman, and they had been lying for years. So we sat down with the pastor and we said, hey, listen, true story. I said, there's so much we want to bring to what's going on here, but, but one of the things you've done is you're, you're getting us all wrong. You're going to have to tell her that she can't sing. And to his credit, he goes, you're right, we need to do that. And he did. And it was ugly. It was ugly. She was so angry at the whole church. She almost left the church over it. Rightfully so. Rightfully so. She was in the right. She wanted to believe she could sing. She wanted to believe she had a certain grace gift. She wanted it because she admired people who sang. See how this works? She, she wanted to be something she was never designed to be. And so for those years that she was pursuing that, you know what she wasn't pursuing? What God had made her to be. The leadership of that church and the church itself had done her a tremendous disservice by lying to her about who God says she, says she is. Listen, don't be afraid of people who tell you the truth. They're some of the best people in the world. I mean, maybe they can learn how to do it better, right? Where it's not so hurtful sometimes, and we can get better at it. But telling each other the truth, the Bible says there's, there's a way that we ought to do that. So we want to deploy you. We want you to become a contributing member of, of the body. Um, but you have to fit in the proper space. C can you imagine if your ear was down here where your knee was, and your knee was up here where your ear is? You'd be like, huh? <laughs> right? And so the Bible uses this description. Why? Because we're dumb, apparently, you know, and we're like, we can't get it through our thick heads that maybe that's not the gift. I'm pursuing it, and God's going, not your gift. Listen, don't, don't let people, don't just let mean people tell you things that aren't true, because there are some people to try to steer you away from your gift. Don't buy into that lie either. My point is, you can know, and good leaders are going to come and go, hey, I want to encourage you in this. You're really good at this. Uh, we watch people who come up, and, and especially who will come up and testify and share from the front. 
And that's the number one fear. And they'll come up, some of them, and they'll go like, I could never do this. I could never share from the front. And then, you know, years later, they're, <laughs> they're preaching. Like, how did that happen? And it was a journey of getting past fears, getting past all kinds of things that they were, but because in, leaders and other believers encouraged them, said, you know, when you share, when you teach, when you preach, when you testify, there's life that comes. There's a grace that flows through you into us. And that's another way you can know is grace, is grace flowing the right direction? With the lady who was singing, grace was flowing the other direction. The whole church was having to give her grace, right? That's a good way to know that you're not where you, where you ought to be. So we want to deploy that. But what we really want to do is we want you to grow in your capacity. We want to go after depth. We want you to grow in your capacity, gifts and leadership. I'm running out of time, so let me just say it this way. I'm going to jump down to what we need to do. This is 1 Timothy 3, 2 and 3. So growing in your depth is not just learning your gift. That's important, and you need to learn how to do that. We're happy to help. If you think you have a gift, share that, especially with leaders, and we'll help talk you through it, talk about biblically what it looks like and how you can move forward in that. Because part of what we want to do as leaders is we want to release you to your inheritance, right? We want to develop you through the gifts that God's given you. So we want to release you through your inheritance because that's part of how discipleship works. One way we do discipleship, two main ways we do it, discipleship at DCF is through community groups. Makes sense, right? You spend time with, with people. You get to know people. You let people in. They can share. You can grow. Iron sharpening iron. We get that one. It's pretty easy. What we forget sometimes is grace teams is a huge way of discipleship. Why? Because you're stepping out in the thing that God's called you to be and work in and, 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 you know, and, and, and release God's grace through your gifts and different things. And in a team, they'll challenge you and go, hey, you can do this. Step up. You could teach this class. You could lead in this arena. You could take this segment. You could do this, whatever that looks like. And they'll challenge you and you'll go, oh, I don't want to do that. I'm so scared. But they'll encourage you and they'll challenge you and they'll encourage you. And next thing you know, in a year, you, it's, it's amazing how far you've grown. But this is Timothy. This is uh, three, chapter uh, 3, verses 2 and 3. So a church leader, is, this is the New Living Translation. Um, other places says elder. So a church leader must be a man whose life is above reproach. That's a big ticket. Right? That's telling me i got to stop. <laughs> I'm trying to get better at this. So he must be faithful to his wife. Duh. He must exercise self-control. That's probably good in a leader, right? Live wisely. Have a good reputation. Not just in the church, but out. So there's a, there's a list of all these mature things that you ought to be as a mature believer, right? And so the, the challenge, though, is that's a way that you can look like Jesus. I can grow in all these arenas. I can become better at my gift. I can become, you know, I can grow up in so many ways. But the first step to, to becoming mature is not walking in any of those things because that scripture is a mature believer. All that scripture is saying, if you're going to be an elder in the church, you must be a mature believer. This is where churches get this wrong. They're like, you know, we need the spot to be filled, so we're going to call you to go do it. You're not equipped for it. You're not really called to it, but we need a warm body, so we're going to put you in it. And you know what you do? You do damage to the body that way, and you damage that person. And it's unfair to them. It's definitely unfair to the body, so don't do it. So he's just saying, hey, if you're going to be mature, I mean, if you're going to walk in this role, you must be mature. So this scripture is not talking about the, the role of an elder so much as it's talking about the qualifications. They must be mature, period. So the question then is, when you read this, do you see yourself in it? When you read Timothy and Titus, where it talks about an elder, a deacon, can we push that aside and go, yeah, we get that. You have to be these things before you can become that. But what about becoming these things? This is just what it means to be a mature believer. So go read that, Timothy and Titus, and say, hey, where do I fit in this? So the whole, the whole challenge is this. 
when we read that, if we're not careful, we're so afraid because we're like, man, I don't even come close. Every time we bring deacons and elders on board, maybe not every time, most of the time, we sit down with them. We say, hey, we see this role, this calling on your life to be a deacon. So I want you to read Timothy and Titus and tell us where you think you are. And then what we'll do is we'll pray and we'll think and we'll process. And then we'll, we'll sit down with you and we'll tell you where we think you are in this, in this walk. But here's the thing. If we didn't think they were already there, do you think we would be talking to them about becoming deacons? Right? So does that mean they're 100% that they're never going to mess up or they're never going to fail? Of course not. That's not what spiritual maturity is, is about. But it is about attaining to something, walking in a pattern of something. And so the challenge we give them, a lot of times they'll come back and go, you know, our kids are not in order. Um, the Bible talks about that. You know, our marriage is not where it needs to be. And so we'll talk about that. So we'll just challenge them and go, so get your crap in order. Like, so you're telling me, oh, I can't, be a, I can't be a deacon because of that. We're like, well, we're probably not even gonna invite you up to be, you know, considered for another six months. So in the meantime, maybe work on your marriage. Maybe work on your kids. Maybe work your kids over if they need it. I don't know, what, I don't know how it works in your family, right? Whole, the whole movement towards gentle parenting is never telling a kid no. I guess I'm not even gonna get in. That's a whole other series. But you, you understand what I'm saying? The challenge sometimes in, in, with people is if we don't tell them no, we go, hey, that's not your gift. They're never gonna realize what their gift actually is, right? So, so part of this is it's not, it's not getting to that big picture going, man, I've, I've, I've arrived, right? Even Paul didn't, he, he didn't say that. And he was one of the guys who raised people from the dead. He said, I've not yet obtained. I'm pressing in, I'm pressing on. There's a calling on my life to who Jesus called me to be but I haven't fully gotten there yet. I recognize there's more. That's going to be the case. But I just want to tell you a story, kind of end it this way. <clears throat> what we would do in youth ministry often is when a kid um, turned 13 years old. There's something fascina fascinating about 13 because it, it's the beginning of the teens, right? But the truth is some 12-year-olds have already started that journey. Some 14-year-olds haven't, right? So it's not really a perfect thing. But the reason why we use that age is that age in biblical history, especially in the Old Testament, Old Covenant, and the New Covenant, is by that time, there was a moment where the, the, the Jewish people would have a ceremony with their young men and young women, and they would invite them into adulthood. They would say, hey, we want to pick a moment to say, um, yesterday you were a child, <laughs> and today you're an adult, right? Well, that's not exactly true. What they would say it is, hey, you've been a child. We want to invite you in to, to begin the journey of adulthood, right? And so we would do this thing as a church, um, different places. We would, we would have these, especially boys, do, all the guys would do it with the guys, with the boys. Little, little boy would turn 13 years old. We would have a ceremony. We'd have a moment where we'd bring him in. We would have a bunch, we'd have his dad, his uncles, you know, other leaders in the church who'd been, been ministering to him in kids' church and youth ministry, whatever. And we'd bring him in and we'd pray over him. And typically we would ask everybody to bring a token and write a letter. And so we said, hey, the easy way to write the letter is, what would you like to say to your 13-year-old self? Like knowing what you know now as an adult, hopefully a mature adult, um, otherwise we wouldn't invite you to talk to this kid, right? But knowing that, what would you write to yourself at 13? Think about that when you're writing to him. What would you write to him? What would you say is of value as a man, as, a, as an adult, you know, as, in maturity? And they would often bring a token and they would say, hey, you know, this, uh, I remember one guy brought a, um, a multi-tool and he said, I just, I, he, would pray, he would be praying and go, I brought this because I felt like the Lord said that you're a multi-tool. There's so many things you can do. You're good at so many things, you know, but, but you, can, you can't focus on all of them at once. Otherwise you'll injure yourself. So, you know, keep focused. So, so his message was about focus. 
So the whole beautiful thing about this is what would, what would happen afterwards. There's always, we would do this thing and then, you know, they would still have friends or brothers or whatever who are younger than them. But what would really begin to happen is they would begin, they would, it would flip a switch inside their head. And they would start pursuing adulthood in ways they had never done it before. So the, the, the challenge was, we said, and Paul goes after this in Corinthians, he said, um, when I was a child, I acted like a child. I did childish things. But when I became a man, he said, I decided, I put away. I'm the one who put away the childish things. He didn't say, God, pretty please, will you help me put away the childish things? Not a bad prayer, but that's not what Paul writes about. Because he, he prefaces that whole portion where he talks about childish things and then putting the childish things away. That's 1 Corinthians 13. Anybody know what that is? That's the love chapter, right? And it goes through, what is, what is love? Well, let me tell you what love is not. Love's not selfish. Right? Love doesn't hold a grudge. It starts going down this list of all the things that are serving away from yourself. It's a demonstration. Love is not a feeling. It's an act of your will. We know this, right? And so this is the picture. And what would happen is, one really interesting example, we would challenge our young people to go, there's no such thing as a junior Holy Spirit. So when you grow up into adult things, right, some of that is taking responsibility, maybe getting a job, obviously getting a job, you know, and all that, taking care. At some point, you're gonna, you, you should lead your family. What does it mean to do that? Well, here's a way you can start practicing right now what it's going to look like to lead your family as a man biblically. What if you started praying for your mom? What if rather than your mom always praying for you, what if you prayed for her? What if you said, Lord, give me a word for my mom? So here's, we would get testimonies behind this all the time. It was fascinating. Moms would come and go. They'd be in tears. I don't know what you did to Junior, but you need to keep doing it. And I'm like, amen, sister. Have no idea what you're talking about. He came to me. This is what they say. He came to me and he said, mom, I've been praying for you. She said, that would have been enough. <laughs> Typical mom. But she said, he heard, he was reading a scripture and he felt like the Lord said, mom, this scripture is for you. And he read it to me. And she, she, she said, you know what? It was for me. So a couple things happened. One, she was blessed because God gave her a word. But you know where the greatest blessing came from? The child that had been a child for so many years in her head, in her mind, he's always going to be her baby. Something switched inside of him, and he put away the childish things, and he said, like Paul, I became a man. Now, had he obtained all that yet? No, I promise you, he had, he had setbacks, right? But what he did was, he said, I made a decision in my heart. I'm going to grow up into spiritual maturity. I'm going to grow up into what it means to be a man. I'm going to be masculine. I'm not going to grow up and be 220 pounds and full of muscle, six foot two, and, and be a toddler and throw a hissy fit like a toddler in Walmart. I'm not going to do that anymore. I have strength. I have power. I have capacity now. And that capacity can be self-serving, right? And we've all seen the YouTube videos or the TikToks or whatever. We've seen that on social media, some grown man acting like a child. But then we've seen a young man acting like a mature man. Which one do you like better? And I feel this morning, <clears throat> this is what God's trying to do with us. He's trying to, he's trying to challenge us. I want you to serve. This is what I've called you to. I have gifted you to it. And if, can I just be honest? Some of us aren't doing it. And I want to challenge that and go, that's not okay. It's not okay that you're not serving. 
So why I serve these other places, all fine and good. But part of what Jesus said is I want to drive that to the body. Why? If you, if you start serving in the body, something begins to happen. Because the Bible says the body then builds itself up in love. Like whatever God designed him to do, he creates a spiritually mature body. And then when people walk in the door, whether it's on a Sunday morning or they walk into your community group or you connect with them at the coffee house or at the grocery store, whatever happens, you are coming with a spiritual maturity. Why? You're coming with a, a gift. You are bringing something to the table. You're not coming only to get. And one of the biggest challenges in church world is people come only to get. And so very, very quickly, they like the music wasn't that good. The sermon was too long. You know, people didn't say hello like they normally do. The coffee wasn't hot. And they give this, all, this incredibly long list of their toddlership. Is that okay? <laughs> and, and what God's calling us to is say, hey, it's time to grow up. It's time for you. Quit asking me. You, you want things from God. You're like, God, I want this and I want this. And God's saying, I long to give you an inheritance. But your inheritance, much of your inheritance, is on the other side of your spiritual maturity. And until you make a decision to say, I'm going to do God's thing God's way, you're not ever going to get God's results. You know what you're going to do? You're going to use that as an excuse and go, God didn't do it for me, and God did this. And you see this, you see this big deconstruction thing that's going online, which translation is, I don't like how I've been treated, and I'm an immature two-year-old toddler, and now I'm all the people who hurt me. Well, welcome to the world, man. It's broken, right? So rather than going, in spite of all that, I'm going to bring my strength even when I don't feel like it. I'm going to show up at work because that's what men do, right? I'm going to, I'm going to lead my family because that's what men do. I'm, I'm going to love my wife. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to do the things that I need to do. Why? Because that's not necessarily a spiritual gift, but something about the decision that you make that's what takes you to the next step in spiritual maturity. And this morning, we have needs at DCF. We are a growing church, and a growing church has challenges. One of those challenges is we got, we got too many kids for the, for the rooms that we have. We got too many kids for the classrooms. We need more classrooms, which means we need more teachers, which means we, we need more assistant teachers, right? And the list goes on and on. And youth ministry, we need more people working in youth ministry. And the list goes on and on. And that's the classic case for a small church. So we always challenge you go, hey, serve at least 80% in, in your passion and your giftedness and, and your anointing. And we love that. And we, we want that for you. 20% though is just taking out the trash. Nobody has a gift for that. You just, it's just stuff that needs to get done. I don't have the gift of moving chairs, but I can move chairs, right? You see how that works. But in a, in a growing church, sometimes, like Karen said, you serve in your A seat, and that's awesome, but, but you want to serve in your A seat in, you know, the greeter team or somewhere else, and there's 20 people doing that. But there's, there's, no, there's nobody in kids' church in your B team, you know, your B seat or your C seat. It's like, well, I have a leadership gift, but I'm not passionate about little kids. Well, do you not hate them? If you can just not hate them for a little while, maybe serve in a year, not hating little kids, but use your leadership. You see how that works? And so the challenge is don't just serve, don't just serve where you can or where you should, serve where you're needed. This is the question. Where, where are you needed? And the answer is wherever your gift can bring and make a difference. And so part of that is, man, again, as we grow, there's going to be challenge. And because there's challenge, I mean, we're a healthy church, and because we're a healthy church, we're going to grow. That becomes a challenge. And because there's a challenge, we need health. So it's a continual cycle. But in the meantime, step up to the plate and go, I'm not going to take the free ride. 
I'm going to actually serve and bring my strength. And when you do that, when the body brings its strength, when it, when it humbles itself and says, I'm willing to serve wherever is necessary, I'm going to serve where needed. When we begin to do that, what happens is God builds the body up, and guess what happens next? This body then becomes the, the instrument of transformation for the city. Now, I long for the day when I can walk into the mayor's office and say, hey, mayor, what could DCF do to help our city? We're not there yet. He would laugh at me. He would go, who? What? He knows us. Actually, we met him a couple times. But, but again, we're not there yet. But we, can't, we can get there. There's a church called um, Church on the Move in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And they exploded in their kids' ministry to the point where they had more buses than the school system did. And something happened in the school system. A bunch of buses broke down. And they called the pastor and said, would, could we borrow some of your buses? He said, of course. He said, would you like bus drivers with them? They're like, that would be super helpful. He's like, done. And so they served the city with the church buses for months until they got it sorted out. Then another thing happened. The church was growing so big, so many people coming to that church that it was creating a traffic jam because the roads to get there were too small and it was creating a mess. And they came to them and said, man, this is, this is really tough. The guys, you know, the leaders of the church went to the city and they said, you know what would, would be really amazing is it looks like the demographics are showing there's so much traffic that we need an exit ramp, right? If we had an exit ramp and, a, and an entrance, you know, to the interstate right here, that would alleviate all the traffic problems. And they said, you're, you're right, and we would love to do it, but we're not at a place in the city where we can just drop that kind of, you know, there's multi-million dollars, we can't do it. And they said, how much is it going to cost? And they told him, and he said, I'll write a check. And that church wrote a check to build their own on-ramp and off-ramp on the interstate in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I look at that and go, how do we get there? And the answer is, not tomorrow, <laughs> Right? It starts with a decision you make right now to go, I'm going to bring my strength to us as a body. And then us as a body, we're going to grow to the place of impact where at some point we're going to walk into the mayor's office and go, where do you need, strategically, where do you need God's people? We have enough of them moving in their strength in such power that we can make a difference in our city that if, if the city lost this church, they would grieve. I don't know about you, but I want to be that church. I want to be a church that connects to other churches that we begin to move and do the things that God's called us to do. It changes the very nature of our city. We will be known for something in our city because of who we are as a church. That's what I believe God's calling us to. And I want to challenge you that. It doesn't start with, I'm there already. It starts with, God, what's the next step? And for you, really, the next step is, where are you serving? Not should I serve. Well, I've already covered that. Where should you serve? Right now, we have tremendous needs in kids' church. We need the kids' church um, <clears throat> leaders. Um, we need assistance to help so we can expand the age group so we can grow and be ready to receive even more people as they come because we're growing. That creates challenges. Youth ministry, same thing. Various different places, other, other ministries. We'll talk about those next week. But do me a favor. Think about it, pray about it, and go, Lord, I want to serve. I want to serve passionately. I want to serve with everything that's in me. Why? Because I have been served and I have been given grace so I can allow it not just flow in me, but to flow through me. Amen? Carol, won't you come up? Amen. Um, so good on bringing our strengths and uh, causing the body to build itself up in love. This morning, um, when we were doing our membership class 
we had some little ones, and so I was with them in the nursery area in the, pre, the little um, area back here. And so Ellie was in membership class with us, and Ellie, if y'all know her, she's like eight, I think, roughly eight, nine. So, um, But anyway, Ellie was in the membership class with us waiting for people to show up. She goes, I don't think I'm going to stay in the membership class today. And I said, well, Ellie, if you want to, you can come with me into the um, kids' room and help me with the kids and playing with them. She's like, okay, I'll do that. So what we love here is that everyone has the capacity to serve and to love one another well. And so even for our young people, you guys, that looks like them helping in maybe a class or a generation below them. And so Ellie was amazing, building towers and castles, and William was destroying them, and Lyra was helping to put little blocks on there. So, so you guys, it's like it's finding this place of loving one another deeply from the heart and loving in every season. So uh, we're thankful that you're with us this morning and um, we'll have our grace teams for signups. If you already know a team that you want to serve on, that's going to be ready for you as well on our website. And this morning, our team spent some time praying and just listening to the Lord's heart for you this morning, for this service, for um, just how much he loves you. And there's going to be some words that will come up on the screen. If any of those resonate with you and you would like to have prayer, our ministry team will be up at the front. And also, if there's anything that you need prayer for and you would like for us to just pray with you in agreement, come alongside you and just pray, we are here for that as well. And we love you guys. Have a great week. God bless you, and we'll see you all next Sunday.